I will be speaking at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh on April 18th for Earth Day. If any of you are listening in from that part of the country, stop on by, say hello. I recently got some new analytics on the podcast and was blown away by the amount of different places people are listening in from. Made me feel good. I'm going to be doing a limited speaking tour this year also, so if any of you are college students and want me to come give a talk at your school, head over to my website, kyle.surf, and hopefully we can make that happen. My guest today is Ethan Rowland. Ethan is the founder of Terragenesis International and the Regenerative Enterprise Institute. With on-the-ground experience in 34 countries, he has designed more than 3,000 acres of regenerative agriculture landscapes in every major climate zone in the world. Ethan is the executive vice president of research at How Good and the co-author of Regenerative Enterprise and The Levels of Regenerative Agriculture. He designs, writes, and farms on his permaculture orchard in upstate New York. Regenerative agriculture is the buzzword in the natural foods world right now. I stopped by the Natural Foods Expo in Anaheim and was overwhelmed with the amount of companies that there are selling natural foods. And Ethan is the real deal. He knows what's up. He does not bullshit. And he's a very clear, articulate and entertaining speaker. If you dig this podcast, head over to my website, kyle.surf, and click the donate button. Even just a few bucks a month is very helpful. And not only that, when you donate, it will enter you into a raffle where I give away gear from my surf sponsors every month, including Patagonia, Sector 9 Skateboards, RPM Fitness. I want to hook you guys up. I want to make you feel good about supporting the show because I appreciate it. And even if you can't donate, thanks for listening. I totally get it. Times are tough. And if you share it with a friend, that helps too. All right, let's get this thing rolling. Please welcome my guest, Ethan Rowland. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. As one of our mentors, you know, founder of Guy University, Andrew Langford, said, thinking is one of my favorite activities. That's a great quote. And I love using my mind and I even more than using my mind I love digging in with other people and jamming and seeing what emerges from the collaborative connection of minds bumping up against each other right I love it yeah um, no one person can make a toaster right have you heard that one no I haven't heard that so it's basically the the thought that no one person in the world has all the skills right now to go get the metal from wherever the metal comes from to mm. get the toaster to know be an electrician or know how to uh, make electricity so that we can power the toaster. It takes all of us to make a toaster. 
right? And the problems that you're working on um, are much bigger than a toaster. Yeah, much bigger. But, you know, Bill Mollison, the founder of Permaculture, he was famously known for saying, you know, because he was taking on really big problems. He was looking at the whole world of ecological degradation and, you know, social conflict. And he was saying... It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot, you know. I'm not going to be able to change the world on my own. It'll take at least three of us. Right. <laughs> and so that really points out something, and I think part of why we jam is that it doesn't take that many people shifting our minds, aiming towards regeneration, to actually move significant systems in the world. What is the goal? Like, give me that 10,000-foot look. Like, what the fuck is it going to take for humanity to stay on planet Earth and continue to live and regenerate without uh, destroying our ecosystems? It's a big question. I think one part of it is, in a way, to stop thinking of ourselves as the biggest, most important thing on the planet. Part of it is we need to literally remember ourselves, re-become members of the whole ecosystems that we're looking to protect the integrity and even increase the health and vitality of. And I think humans believe that we're like the apex like wherever we're at right now is like the top of civilization and this is like it's best it's ever been and and we're amazing and i think and and it is in some ways oh it's it's amazing no it doubt it's amazing ways, but i want to let you finish your thought but i think a little more humility would be useful as we take on seeing how fucked up things are in the world some of the really fucked up history that's happened to get us to this place where we are right now you know, humility and human have the same root word. It's the same root word as humus, which is soil. And I think that's part of where I draw my inspiration from is digging into real living whole systems, digging into soil, digging into the natural world around us and drawing inspiration for how we work together, how we talk together from whole ecosystems around us. Dig in a little more on that. What does um, that mean? Because we're talking about food systems. This is what we're. I I hope to be chatting with you about over the next little while because I do think that that food systems and our integ- reintegration within food systems is one of those leveraged impacts that mm-hmm. we can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that all actions are equal. And I think that f- in terms of um, our ability to help our community to help our world. Um, and I, I am fascinated with food systems for that primary reason, that it is this leveraged impact. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about with you because you understand food systems. And I, and I do think that you understand at least part of what it's like, what's, what do we got to do? What do we really got to do? Because we were just at the, at this natural foods expo where there were thousands of brands, thousands. I was walking down aisles. I felt like I was, Walking across the Serengeti Desert, my knees hurt from walking so much across booth 
after booth after booth of natural yogurt, organic nuts, uh, new acai bowls. And I don't know if by me buying those natural organic products, it's going to be enough to really turn the tide. But Mm -hmm. I do know that there are effective and leveraged actions that we can take that really really make a big impact right and like we were saying before in the ride over here maybe only one percent of the brands that are there the companies that are there are doing it are going far enough towards regenerative agriculture and regenerative supply to actually make this whole thing work right right? to actually shift the food system and that's an issue and i think it has to do with how we think which is to go back to your last question um we were brought up because we've grown up for the most part in uh, an industrialized, mechanized society. Our baseline, how we've learned to think, is like a machine. Right. right. We're thinking in linear terms, we're thinking in gears. Even all our language and metaphors say it. We say, let's roll. You know, what are we rolling? We're rolling in a car, or right. even actually, we're rolling in a war chariot from Rome. That's where that language comes from. Oh. So. We're thinking in this mechanical mindset, right? And that paradigm is the paradigm that's gotten us to where we are right now. It's a paradigm of extract value, right? What can I get out of this? How can we, you know, push production of almonds out of this acre of desert in the middle of California? How can we, you know, push more corn per acre out of this place in Idaho or in Iowa? It's all about getting what we want. This is also going back to what I said about humans thinking we're the shit. We're the top. We want to get what we want. We want our cake. We want to eat it too. (laughs) And so this whole paradigm is a huge part of the problem. And what we work towards in Terragenesis, our company, is shifting to a regenerative paradigm. Shifting the way we think. Shifting the way we do business. Shifting what we buy and how we buy so that it's coming from a whole system's ecological perspective. Right. So who's doing it? What does that look like? Bring me into the real world. Fuck, of so what's... Many, I wish there were more people that were doing it. I wish there were more brands that were doing G- it. Give me a breakdown of what you're doing right now. Okay, so Terragenesis International works with companies to look at their system of supply. Usually people call it a supply chain. Right. right. That's the term you'll hear all the time. It's basically just where a company gets its stuff from to make what it makes. So we could look at, you know, a protein bar company, right? They're buying oats from somewhere. They're getting chocolate from somewhere else, almonds from somewhere else. Where exactly they get it from? Who are the farmers who are making it? Who processes it? Who, you know, distributes it? Who sends it across the ocean? Where is it actually then manufactured into a little protein bar? It's all the stuff that happens before you see it. Before you open that wrapper and put it in your mouth. Yep. That is a system of supply. Usually they call it a supply chain, but the problem is that is a mechanical metaphor again, right? There are no chains in nature. Right. But that's us projecting our like mechanical systems, our mechanical mind, onto a very complex web of connections. So, Terragenesis works with companies to break the chain, to re-envision and transform how they get their raw materials, 
so that they're coming from organic permaculture regenerative agriculture sources all over the world gotcha so if it's not a chain what is it then oh if it's not a chain you tell me think about it like an ecosystem would what does it look like it's a spiral it's not a spiral dude it's a taurus <laughs> no way man what does it look Some like sacred geometry this that's is, what it is well that might be a little closer but <laughs> think about it and actually get an image in your head i just walked you through it see you know think about the last thing you ate that was sort of a, a packaged food it's usually easier because there's more ingredients right and see if you can image in your mind everything working where it's coming from where it's going and what is what emerges is it a chain no because there's always got to be a bottom of a chain okay what does it actually look like in your mind as you think it through a circle okay i don't see a circle you don't at see all. a circle no what no i think you're just actually get the image in your head this is called imaging okay this is how we this is what we're doing right I'm ready. now i'm trying to do it Dude, right now what I, we're doing I, I, this is what I, happens i'm with in clients. it with you I, we're we're in the boardroom right now you're the ceo okay i'm pushing you to think differently about how you do things okay you're sweating a little i'm into it i'm, I'm right here with you <laughs> <laughs> okay so you actually so what's the product you're thinking of what okay. did you eat recently um today i ate uh well, I ate a lot at the trade show. Uh, yogurt. Just, Let's go for yogurt. Okay. Had some yogurt. Had some yogurt. Was there anything in it? Sure was. Okay, so... So there was some dairy from a cow. Okay, nice. There was um, probably some added sugar. Right? right? And some fruit or something. And some fruit. Okay, so now image in your mind. See if you can get a picture of that cow, of how the milk gets from the cow to wherever it goes to get into the plant, to get into the thing. See if you can see the farmers growing the sugar. Yeah. Who's growing the um, who's, the the strawberries? Yep. Right, and see if you can image that in your whole mind. What does it actually look like when it's moving and working? Well, um, it looks like the um, the resources that are coming into the strawberry farmer are benefiting their community. Right, it's actually helping them. Um, to create a community that looks good for them. That's awesome, right? This it must have been a good yogurt. It was a good yogurt, right? Well, I mean, are we are we talking about what I imagine? I hope it's seeing or or what I see right now. That's a great question. What we're doing here is seeking to image the whole system working, and you jump to the next level, which is where we usually go, which is. What if the whole system worked fucking awesome? Right. What if it was lifting up people and planet every step of the way? Right. We image these systems as systems as networks. Yes. Like a web. Gotcha. Right? Like a whole, we call it, what we're aiming for is a regenerative producer web. Right. Not a supply chain. A, a system of supply is a good yeah. place to start. But eventually, as you go, you get to the point where every node in the web, each processor, each packager each farmer everyone's producing value okay and if they can all see that if they're not trying to extract value from each other push the price down so i can get that extra cent right across a million units so i can make a million bucks right right that's the extract value mechanical linear paradigm we're seeking to shift people out of it 
so that they can see where everything comes from, but then actually start making choices to do what you started to see, which is like, whoa, what if you could grow this strawberry in a way that uplifted the workers who are engaging with it, improve the whole ecosystem around it so that the water worked better, so that there's more biodiversity, so there's more carbon in the soil. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. The problem is, is not. <laughs> Nothing's like that. 99.9999999% of the whole food system is kind of fucked up. It's, it's degenerative. It's decreasing the health and vitality of places and people and communities all over the world. And that's just the raw facts of most of the food we eat right now. Unless you're eating out your backyard and your garden you planted. For the most part, things suck. So what would you say to the argument of that, you know, by, by me eating um, something that, that is paying a farmer at least decently well, um, it's giving them jobs and we live in this globalized world, um, and that by, by us trading with companies like this, it is lifting them, them up in a certain way. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's the direction we should go and think, and that's the direction that companies should go and are. Right. Are definitely moving in this direction. I mean, the fact that TerraGenesis has a job helping companies right. change to a regenerative supply system yeah. means that there are companies heading in this direction. Right. There's not enough. We're still very much in early adopter phase, but we are going that way, and I think you making the choices to buy the goods that from companies that are doing that is great. That is important. Right. Um, but in the current situation, it's not enough. It's not enough to change the tide. It's not enough because it's, you know, you might think, all right, so there's four levels that we should talk about. Four levels of paradigms or thinking. And the first one we've kind of dug in on a bit already. That's the mechanical extract value paradigm. Then there's a paradigm that I see a lot of people in the so-called sustainability movement pushing. And that should be called something like, do less bad, right? So here's check out this new water bottle, right? There's it's sustainable, dude. It's got like you know twenty percent less plastic in the plastic water bottle, so it's it's green. Right. It's a smaller plastic cap. <laughs> All right, that's fucking bullshit. It's man. such bullshit. <laughs> it's total bullshit. The Arrowhead ads that say use less plastic, save the world. <laughs> they make their little plastic bottle cap smaller and they claim it like they're saving the planet. Makes me so annoyed. <laughs> that's the that's the do less bad right. paradigm. Okay. Okay. It's like let's decrease this totally shitty stuff we're doing by like twenty percent. And, you know, then make a big marketing deal out of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one of my mentors gives this really intense example to kind of poke a hole in this, if you will. Um, it's a little graphic, so forgive me for that, but it basically... We're ready for it. it our our seatbelts are fastened. <laughs> it basically we're ready says, for some Ethan Rowland knowledge. This is not for me. You know, this is from Joel Glansberg uh, of Regenesis, which okay. is an amazing group. But he basically, he said... Imagine you're stabbing your mother with a knife. Right? You've got a knife, full dagger, like all the way up to the hill into your mom. You pull the dagger out 70%. Are we at sustainable? Wow, that was graphic. Dude, I told you. Whoa. All right. So if you get it, you pull it out to 90%. Yeah. How are we doing? 90% less plastic. Hey. 
right? We're still stabbing our fucking mom with a knife. So it doesn't stop until you're at 0%, but that's not even enough. That's what we've been doing for the last few hundred years at least. We've been stabbing our mom with a knife, and we're not even to the zero, you know, the zero point where they call, oh, it's net zero. Great, you pulled the knife out. Now what? Your mom's fucking hemorrhaging blood on the floor. Okay, so we can't just do sustainable, right? We have to go beyond that. We have to go to regeneration, where we're actually healing the wounds that have been done and then growing back the living life and vitality of the earth, of our communities, of whatever system it is we're working on. So, do less bad, not enough. Number three. Third paradigm to think about is, you could call it do good, right? Or do better, or improve, right? So this is like, this is good. This is we're thinking, okay, we're not just going to not do bad, right? The basic Buddhist thing of like, do no harm, mm, not enough, all right? That's the zero point. It's attempting to get to the zero point. And if you set a goal of getting to the zero point, often you don't quite hit your goal, so you don't even get there. So we need to go beyond. So do good basically says, yeah, let's improve things. Let's go step by step. You know, let's, uh, let's make things better with each purchase. Let's have a business that um, makes a profit but also does good for the world. Right. That's good. Yeah. Right? That's better. It'd be awesome if everyone was there. And there is a movement afoot, you know, the B Corp movement. Uh, and these corporations that are taking on social good in the world, there's 2,000 of them globally. Yeah. It's a good start. It's happening. It's happening. But okay. most of that still is in the do less harm and do good paradigm. So that's the second and third. So what we work on is the next level, which is the regenerative paradigm. This is the evolve capacity and capability. What does that look like? It looks like every action I take as a person, every action that a business takes, not only are they seeking to do good with it, but they're evolving the ability of right. whatever they're working with to do good. Right. So if, let's a com- at- if a company was a person, the guy walking into the room, giving high fives to all their friends, giving hugs, saying, you are the man. No, you're the man. Here's an apple. It's organic. Eat <laughs> that, it. I think that might be doing good. How could they go further? How could they evolve the capacity of everyone in the room they're walking into? Give them a Tim Ferriss podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Give them a Kyle Tierman podcast. (laughs) No, that's an interesting thing, though. Why did you say that? Give them a Tim Ferriss podcast. Because I I respect Tim's ability to um, give pragmatic steps forward to helping uh, people better their own lives. I respect that. Right. So it's not just making them feel good. It's actually supporting them to grow themselves. It's giving them good good tools. Right. Hey, I'm going to give you a wrench, and this is going to help you at some point in your life. Here we go with the mechanical metaphor again. It's so hard. It's everywhere. We talk about tools. This is very deep in our consciousness, man. It's going to take some time to get it out. The tool belt is one of my favorite metaphors. I'm saying it's it's mechanical. It's about fixing machines. It's about fixing cars. It's very much in our language. When we go into work with a company, we ask for anywhere from a three to seven year contract because it takes that much time to actually disrupt the mechanical mind and start thinking in living systems 
Start thinking like a forest thinks. Start moving and buying things, not just that are a little bit better or a little bit less bad, but how can we buy an ingredient in a way that like lifts up and repairs all the farmers in a whole bioregion? Right? So one of, the, one of the companies we work with is a great company called Cholaca. Right? They do a drinkable chocolate. And so they're buying chocolate in the past. You know, they're not anymore, but they were, like everybody does, off the commodities market, which is a totally opaque, no transparency. You have no idea where the cacao is coming from. Farmers, you know, get very, very little money. There's 600 middlemen, middle people, that um, are each trying to get their own, squeeze their own dime out of the cocoa beans. Um, And... It's opaque, and there's no way to really see back to the source. So Chalaka said, we want a direct engagement with the source. We want to go and meet the farmers. right? And so they started purchasing from a regenerative agriculture system. So this is a place where they're growing chocolate, but they're doing it not just like in an open monoculture field where it's only chocolate in full sun. Chocolate's like a rainforest species. It's this little tree that grows in the understory of other beautiful big trees. And you can grow herbs like turmeric and ginger underneath. And you can have, you know, other plants growing all around it in this whole wild ecosystem of food. Just imagine how good the chocolate would taste that comes out of that. Right? So Chalaca went and they went to a place in Ecuador where the farmers are doing this complex agroforestry system, not just growing cacao but also restoring the watershed, right? So healing up the big wounds of, that were like bleeding water out, fixing up the streams, planting more trees, increasing the biodiversity. But they weren't just doing it, which would be doing good. They were teaching other farmers in their, in their cacao cooperative how to do it. And then that cooperative started teaching the larger cooperative they're a part of how to implement these practices. So. The farmers were learning and growing their capacity. The soil was getting, and still is, getting more carbon, right? carbon coming out of the atmosphere, which makes the soil more productive, makes it hold more water, and it fights climate change at the same time because it's taking carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into the soil and into the trees where it belongs. So now, Chalaga is buying this delicious heritage cacao that's from a community that is regenerating the soil and the people, and they get to tell the story. That story then excites other people to go learn about what does regeneration mean? How do we get to this paradigm? Now we're actually seeing a system that can grow and evolve, not just itself, but it's affecting people beyond. This is what we need all companies to be doing. And the work that we are incredibly passionate about bringing out to the world. So you rate the companies then? That's part of the work that you do is you look at a company as an ecosystem and we definitely look at a company as an ecosystem. Yeah. But what would be even more powerful than us coming in and looking at a company as an ecosystem? Um what would be even more powerful than you coming in and looking at a company as an ecosystem? Um w- while trying to create a healthy ecosystem. Yeah, that would still be us doing it. Right. Um, Asking them the questions, the right questions, so that they could inspire themselves and own it. Because 
I have found from many of the uh, issues that I have covered, it really doesn't work unless there is this adopted philosophy from within. Boom. So we don't go rate companies because if we did that, we'd be just some outside experts telling them what was what. We go in and we ask the hard questions so that they can start to see where they're at themselves. And then we say, okay, well, how, how would you evolve that? How would you improve that? And help them to see themselves as an ecosystem. Now we're evolving capacity. Now we're building within them the capability to do what we do. And then they can take it for a lot longer than we're going to be working with them. So we've done this for global cosmetics companies with really complex systems of supply, you know, hundreds of ingredients. Um, and we couldn't go through and, you know, like the cacao example I just right. gave, the chocolate, we couldn't go through all 500 of their ingredients and make them all come from regenerative agriculture sources. Right, especially if they don't want to do it. It's like trying to get a kid kicking and screaming to go do homework. Right, and they were into it. They were excited. They were like, yeah, you should just go do that. But we said, look, you know, if we just do it, then you're going to be dependent on paying us to do it. Right. And that doesn't evolve your capacity. That's not regenerative. So the main focus that we did was working with them so that they could do it, so that they could look at jojoba or uh, salt and think about where could we make a change in our supply system so that this goes towards regeneration, so that this becomes a regenerative agriculture setting. So bring me into that conversation. How does that uh, partnership work? Um, well, very functionally. G give me an example of, of a, a successful partnership that you've had and how that worked from inception to execution. I'm just trying to think which ones I don't have NDAs that we could talk about. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't, or if you do, we don't, we don't need to no, talk okay. about it. Can, I can talk about one really great brand um, that we're, we haven't, we're, We've been working with them for a year now, so we haven't gone, you know, the five-year stretch. Right. Um, this is a brand called Badger. Uh, you might have had their stuff. It's Badger Bomb. It's these pretty awesome, um, really simple ingredients, all organic, like 100% organic. And they've got like, um, you know, they've got lotions. They've got sunscreen. Actually, fuck for anybody uh, who's outdoors a lot, their sunscreen is amazing. It's the simplest. It's got the best ingredients in it. Um, so. When we went and uh, started working with Badger, what we did was a supply system assessment. So we looked at the you know hundred or so ingredients that they have, everything from um, cocoa butter to jojoba oil to rosemary essential oil to like lavender essential oil to zinc oxide, which go which is how their sunscreen works. Yeah, um, and we looked for where were the greatest risks in their system. And where were the greatest opportunities? Hmm. And so, what's an example of all the risks? Um, well, man. So, essential oils. Let's just talk essential oils for a minute. Um, this is basically you kind of like you make alcohol. You just distill a plant, right? So, there's a huge risk right now on the essential oils market of adulteration because it takes a huge amount of plants to make a tiny bit of oil. And so there's, everybody always wants, is like cutting the oil with olive oil or, you know, something that makes it look like there's more oil, but it's not very no! strong. Oh, totally. It's a oh, huge problem. My mind. It's a huge problem. Okay. Um, there's also risks for climate change. So many yogis just went to their knees crying at the sky. <laughs> no! 
I oh, paid, paid $49 <laughs> for a six-ounce bottle. I think, I mean, some of the things like a sandalwood or a Palo Santo or some of those more expensive essential oils, something like 90% of them are adulterated. <gasps> I mean, it's it's serious. So there's that, that risk, risk with quality. Then there's climate change risk. Okay, so a lot of these uh, crops, something, let's say, more simple, like a basil essential oil or something like that, it's grown in a monoculture agriculture system that's an annual, so you have to till every year. And as climate change intensifies and more soil is lost and the weather is inconsistent, crops fail. And especially in certain locations in the world, so we work, we have a whole big computer algorithm that uh, scores things based on where they are, what type of plant they are, um, what the weather's been like in that region. And so uh, annual crops are susceptible to crop failure. That shoots the price up, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, that, so that's a risk from climate change that affects the bottom line of the company. Um, so, we, so, so you go in there, and how do you ask, the, so, and then what are some questions that you ask them to help them shift this to a regenerative model? So we ask, like, what do you know about your current system of supply? How close are you with this supplier? Do you know exactly where that's coming from? Do you know exactly what the growing practices are that are making that work? Uh, and so it's sort of oftentimes, or sometimes well, with somebody like Badger, they really know their stuff. Um, but sometimes we go into a company and they just have no idea. Like I was talking to a, uh, a guy today at a, at a tea company, um, and I said, you know, do you know much about your tea supply, or do you know even more, do you know about the history of tea, and like where tea comes from? He just had no idea. He just didn't know the full story. Um, and it's understandable. There's a lot to do. Looking all the way into your system of supply is hard. Um, so one of the things is to ask enough questions so they see the gaps, right? Then we say, all right, where are you currently at? And where do you want to go? What's most important? Which ingredient is critical? Right? Which one goes in a whole bunch of the different things you make? Um, and then, or like, which one do you buy a lot of? And then ideally, you know, we could do something simple, like just say, all right, have you researched all the suppliers that are out there for say jojoba oil? Um, and if they have, great. If not, then we might make some introductions and have them assess for themselves, okay, is this going to work on price? And then we point out, here are the ones that are really doing the best job. They're certified organic, they're certified fair trade, um, and they're trying to add carbon to the soil and do some basic regenerative agriculture. And then the easiest thing is they can just shift their supplier. Sometimes, though, regenerative supply just doesn't exist. Like if you want to look at almonds, right? Almonds take a huge amount of water. It's a gallon of water per almond. That's so crazy. 460 gallons of water for a pound of almonds. <gasps> I mean, I, I learned that recently. You have to drown the almonds, right, in water crazy. to make them grow. I mean, it's amazing. The way that they're grown and planted, it's because they're planted in the Central Valley, which is a right. desert, yeah. until the irrigation got set up in the 40s and 50s. And um, they do them on hybrid peach root stocks. And so it just takes a huge amount of water. But, man, can they pump the almonds out of those acres, you know? 4,000 pounds an acre kind of thing. And there's, almonds are selling at, you know, what? When we buy them in the store, they're like 12 bucks a pound. 
almond growers are selling them at you know four, five, six, sometimes up to eight dollars a pound. Do the math there. Uh, eight dollars a pound, four thousand pounds per acre. You're worth, making some bank. If yeah, you're it's worth it, especially with um, water rights in the sense that it was. Uh, I was learning about this a little bit a bit ago with the California water rights and how a lot of it was kind of like the gold rush. Like the first people to get on a site had access to that site. So a lot of people have these kinds of um, first founder style, um, first founder style. Uh, uh, rights to different water Mm -hmm. uh, and they can still get it for for fairly cheap even Mm -hmm. though there are still a lot of people down the line south of them who maybe just didn't get on it early enough right uh it's kind of crazy like the the central valley uh issue and i I don't want to get too deep into this i want to let you stay on your on your story but uh it's worth i mean it's it's worth fascinating it is a whole world it's fat i mean because without water nothing grows and the the laws and the ways that people get water are still so archaic because we set them up a long long time ago when it wasn't really an issue and what paradigm were they set up in the chain paradigm yeah they were set up in the extract value yep if we can get this water from here and put it in this you know channel to here then we can put it in the ground we can get a lot of almonds out of here yeah um and this is not to talk shit about the farmers you know farmers are all over the world working their asses off their work so hard with so little um, support so little attention from governments from people food is highly highly underpriced especially in the United States um, you know there's a time I think it was even a hundred years ago when upwards of 50% of our income was spent on food now it's something like 8% um, in some places in Europe that's like 20% which is really high uh, more more it's like 12 to 13% of income spent on food food is expensive to grow farmers are totally underpaid especially in the global south and especially with smaller farmers in the tropics they're just you know we eat so well in the United States on the back of their labor um, and so I'm a big advocate for spending lots of money on awesome food regeneratively grown, local, organic, fair trade, and beyond food. Um, But let's dig back to almonds. Yes. A lot of brands use almonds, right? Many, many, many different brands use almonds. We got to go to almonds, and then we also got to go back to the sunscreen company, too. Because we're talking about that. I know it's it's, It's, easy to sprawl off. It's easy to sprawl off, and I'm into sprawling off, but I do think that it's important to go through We'll hit it on the same time, right? right? That same company, Badger, they use almond oil in some of their stuff. Okay, so we're, we're working them at the same time. Okay. Almonds, there are no regeneratively grown almonds right now. Even if it's certified organic, it's a little less bad. All right. It turns out, though, that even though most almonds are currently grown with huge amounts of water, with significant herbicides, pesticides, fungicides used, it turns out that there's a way you can grow almonds without adding any additional water. It's called dry farming. And you can lay out an almond orchard according to the shape of the land so it catches water and sinks it into the ground. So you can actually grow almonds in a way that would increase the water table, that would put more water down into the ground, that would increase biodiversity. So that would be regenerative almond growing, but it doesn't exist yet. So 
um, you know, working with Badger and working with other companies, we've said this, look, if you want to really have a regenerative supply of almonds, you're going to need to invest into figuring out how to make the system work. You're going to need to do a pilot project, do a model farm, try this out so that we can get this whole system going, and then the greatest yield out of it won't even be the almonds. It will be the learning that happens and the other people that are taught along the way to grow in a regenerative manner. So that's looking at the whole ecosystem, and companies need to you know, step out of a competitive mindset in order to see that you know, um, uh, a protein bar company could work with a cosmetics company. They're both using products from almonds. They could get together if they're both interested in going towards regeneration and invest in making the whole thing work. So we need more examples of companies leading the way and heading in that direction. Uh, and what are the examples of them making that shift? What, is that, what does that look like when they really do it? I'm sure it's slow and arduous, but there has to be that motivation from that one person or those couple of people to say, all right, we're doing this. If it doesn't exist, we're making it happen. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then, you know, then it's a design question. Then it's like, well, where do we get the money from? Is it coming out of the operating budget? Is it coming, you know, from your corporate foundation that wants to invest in it? Who are the local people on the ground who really know this stuff and are going to take it to the next level? Um, then it just becomes like a human and financial resources design question. Okay. Um, and so uh, this is the step that we're not quite to with Badger yet. It's like picking out exactly which projects we want to do that next level design and, you know, make almonds work or make jojoba work. Right, right, right. What's a good example of a company that has said, look, it's not happening yet. We need to create it or we need to partner with a separate company, maybe in a, even in a, in a different industry to right. make it financially viable to make it work. Um, well, let's talk about Dr. Bronner's. We haven't worked for Dr. Bronner's, this soap company, yeah. but they're just amazing. These are the best this. ads ever for these companies, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> This whole this whole podcast is one awesome ad for the best companies in the world. But I'm I'm into it. Let's let's praise them if the if it's uh, if it's worth it. Well, we need to because people need to know that these folks are really stepping out and pioneering regeneration yeah. and stepping into this new paradigm that we need everybody to step into. Yeah. But not enough people are doing it yet. Yeah. So you know, and we need to know the specifics because I don't know what organic or fair trade really means, right? There's this yeah. broad spectrum of what that means, and people have such a small amount of trust in that. Um, I think it's important to have these conversations. So let's go into it. Let's, totally. let's, so let's pump up Bronner's. Dr. Bronner's. What do they do? They make soap, yeah. and they make awesome soap. And um, one thing that they use is uh, coconut oil. Um, that gets broken down into fats and triglycerides, and you know, through the soap making process, they end up with soap. So they were looking for um, a large supply of organic and fair trade uh, coconut oil that they could make their soap out of, but it didn't exist. Right? They couldn't get a secure enough supply at the terms that they wanted anywhere in the world. And so their their team, they have a whole team that works on basically that works on impossible issues. It's called the special operations team. Um, and they went out and they found a group of indigenous farmers on it's in the Pacific Islands um, that have been growing coconuts for a really long time. It's part of their agroforestry, indigenous agriculture system there. And you know, they weren't certified organic, they weren't certified fair trade, um, but Bronner's went in and worked with them for years, invested in their education, invested in, you know, getting stuff um, certified there, and worked with them, built a relationship, 
until the point where there was a large enough supply of certified organic, certified fair trade coconut oil, and then that goes into their system of supply, and then they get to tell the story. So we're providing lively, right livelihoods for smallholder farmers on the ground in the Pacific Islands while still creating an awesome product. Damn, that's so cool. Good on them. Yeah, and we need more of it. Yeah, and, and more of it happens when one company does it. Absolutely, and takes leadership on it. And there, you know, there's a lot of companies that are doing it, but not all of them are going far enough into regeneration. And some people are taking sort of a, a more shallow view of what regeneration means, and they're, they're just breaking it down and saying, it's only soil. The only thing that matters is if you add carbon to the soil. Um, that's good. That's important. We need carbon in the soil. Carbon should be in the soil. Yeah. But it's not enough. Um, so we've been working with the coalition to put out a bigger picture of regenerative agriculture. Um, you can check it out at regenerativeagriculturedefinition.com. Um, but it basically it adds a layer of people. It says we need social justice and equity for smallholder farmers around the world. Um, we need to include not just soil, but whole ecosystems. So there's got to be trees. There's got to be uh, wildlife. There's got to be you know microbiology going in the soil. The whole system right. needs to get better. Um, and basically helping people to step from just a, a do-good paradigm into a regenerative, how can we improve the ecosystem and then also improve the ability of the ecosystem to improve itself. You know, this has been a theme with a lot of the conversations that I've had because we've talked about companies and how much companies are like people. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, a corporation is le- a legal person, right? But how much personality a company has and how often it is that people who we want to have in our life are asking themselves these tough, introspective questions, right? And th- we were talking about this podcast about how um, you're not drinking, right? And that came from a an introspective question for you to be like, you know what? I, I don't need this in my body anymore. Yeah. And, and you say, yeah, sometimes I, I miss not having a few beers, but I would imagine that it's similar. Those same moral questions mm. that we ask ourselves, companies ask themselves. And yes, it's at a bigger and slower process, but I do think that a lot of the world's solutions are going to come from us asking ourselves the right questions and then acting on it. Yeah, and also seeing whole systems. So we don't think about businesses as people so much as we think of them as organisms, right? And there's different parts to the organ. There's they're, you know, they're made up of organs within the organisms that might be the individual people or the teams that are happening there. But I think if we would apply ecosystem thinking to businesses, then we would really move things forward. Right. So we try to bring businesses together in guilds, sort of like collections of businesses that can focus on moving, you know, moving on impossible, like impossible problems to move things forward. And that comes from not seeing them as individuals, but as members of a whole working ecosystem. Actually, our book on this just got translated into four new languages, um, which is fucking so thrilling to me what's it called uh regenerative enterprise so it's basically yeah taking the ideas of permaculture design and ecological design and saying well what if we use this for a business even a small business you know even a one-person entrepreneurial system 
Um, and so it just got translated, released last week in Spanish, French, Portuguese, and Italian. Congrats. And when we put it out there, I said, you know, this is good. This gets us something like 987 million more people that could, that could read the book. Yeah. But I said, that's not enough. Like, who's going to translate this into Mandarin? Who's going to translate it into Arabic? Um, so that we have more businesses moving in this direction. And somebody emailed me yesterday and said, I'd love to help with the Mandarin translation. That's so cool. So that's awesome. We got to get it out there. And I think, uh, oh, I had this other thought about businesses as people. There is one place that I think that makes sense. Um, one thing about each individual person, about you, Kyle, is that you're unique. There's nobody, there's no, there is no other kind you're of You're unique, you, just like everyone else. It's exactly true. You, there's something that's in you that is, you, we might call it uh, your essence, right? The most, you can't like distill it down past there and still have you. Only you have that. And if you know what that essence is, and if you can sort of express that out into the world, then that's a very potent way to move things forward. It's, your, it's, it's beyond, it's deeper than brand. Right? It's actually you at the core. Businesses have this too. Each business, at its formation, as it came into being, developed a very clear, specific essence. And if a business can figure out what that is, they basically become non-displaceable in the industry. Apple knew its essence very clearly and grasped it. There's nobody else that was doing what Apple was doing. Um, I often think about, um, you know, some other like bands, there's some musical groups, which are enterprises in a way that really like there's, they're totally unique. They know their essence. I don't know. I think about like rage against the machine or something like they just, nobody has ever really made music exactly like that. So that's one of the things that we love to do is go into a business and help them identify what is their essence. Right. And then beyond gra- beyond brand image, which is where a lot of people stop. A lot of the marketing companies in LA are saying, "We're going to help you get your brand image. Right. Who who are you?" Right? right. But you're taking that that much deeper. That much deeper, saying, "Who are you really? What do you stand for?" Yeah. What is what is the kind of core purpose and core process and core value that you create in the world? And when you know that and are, and are moving with it, it's kind of unstoppable, right? Because nobody else can, can actually be you. What are some of the best answers you've gotten to that question? Uh, it's, you know, I'm, to be honest, I'm still learning how to do it really well. Um, I'm still learning to, it's not something that can, you, you can't just ask the question and get it. Right. Because nobody knows, right? It's not something that, I don't know, do you know what your essence is? One of my break dancing, baby. <laughs> One when of I'm my... doing the worm on the floor, and there are people around me saying, "Go, Kyle! Go, Kyle!" I feel very in my essence in that, that moment. A, that could be an expression of it. It's even better to look at something that is like a difficult time that you came through, and what it was inside of you at a really deep level that allowed you to come out of it transformed and feeling amazing. That's a, a kind of a better way to get into essence. But one of my mentors, um, it's a woman named Carol Sanford. She's like working me on this right now, helping me to learn to see it. It's really hard. It's really, really difficult. But um, watching her do it is kind of unbelievable. It's kind of like a like re- it's it's like revealing the deepest core 
thing that is a business or a person and then once they have it and, and can roll with it it's just amazing yeah and you see it you do see it with certain businesses and you do see it with certain people you're like damn you're on purpose you're on fuego amigo going for it totally you see it with people totally um what are some questions that help people get to that deeper question mm. oh man um I think it's helpful to look at adversity and challenge. Like when there was something really hard that happened to you, not that you, but that you faced it. You like looked at something really hard. You came through it. Like I'm thinking of a example where I was going through a really intense breakup. Um, and you know, I felt I was like totally destroyed, falling apart, you know, crying every day. Like I just, you know, I couldn't really understand. I didn't know who I was. I just, I couldn't see anything. And yet through what I, um, you know, I came through it and out the other side through the meditation I was doing and through the people I was spending time with, with actually a more clear sense of myself. Um, and through that and asking me what, what was it in myself that actually made that happen really well? Um, that I came out the other side transformed and a, and a new whole person, that's a little eye into essence. That's a little eye into sort of like this core thing inside of you that pops. Is there anything that, uh, that you can, is there anything that you can articulate that allowed you to get to that next bit? So it's kind of scary to talk about this. I'm like uh, talking about my essence to a whole bunch of people. I don't know, man. I'm not sure. You're just I talking with me, man. We're, I don't know. We're all in this ride. We're far, <laughs> our seats are fastened. We, we don't need to get into it also. If, no, if, it's awesome. It's such a, it's such an interesting edge. It's like revealing something, you know, very, very deep about myself. Um, so one of the things that, um, that helps that got me through that was basically stepping outside myself and seeing the whole picture, like sourcing a, um, a image of myself in like the cosmic order of things, not just me in messed up in this relationship, but me working in the world, me trying to regenerate, you know, global supply, me in the bioregion where I live, you know, in New York, seeing my place within that and that I had contributions to make at each level and I had things to do in the world that were much greater than me, that is what helped me get through it. And that's also some of what I do with people and with businesses. I help them see where they sit in the whole systems that they're nested in and then make decisions for the good of the greater whole. I like that. I can't believe I just told you all that. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Told you these were going to be fun. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Let's see. What else did you want to talk about? We don't have that much time. We don't. No, you got to catch a flight. Um, how are we going to finance this whole bit? Because that seems like that is the bottleneck for a lot of companies to make that next step of saying, you know what? We're going to make our own coconut oil that actually works and is fair and regenerative. Or, you know what? We're going to partner with this company and do the hard work 
to do it right and it seems like a lot of times it's that bottom line that makes it really difficult for them to shift to the point of turning the tide right the awesome thing is is that when companies grasp this regenerative paradigm they actually get more profitable right companies that really go into it and learn their essence and then implement their essence throughout their whole company and how they do operations and how they look at their system of supply it actually works better sometimes you know cutting out 600 middlemen in the cacao supply chain actually makes it so you're getting a very similar price with a million times better chocolate mm. right so uh, and so you have this amazing story and you're still paying the same thing or a little more sometimes or sometimes a little less you know it depends on what you can get through the through the direct trade networks that you figure out um, so this isn't necessarily this isn't like a sustainability CSR sorry that's a corporate social responsibility thing that's just like gonna cost money and isn't connected to the rest of your business if you do it right all this stuff feeds into your business and makes it more effective and profitable so I think um, the main lens to look through is investment that doesn't just mean if you're an accredited investor with a million or more dollars, then you choose regenerative companies to go into. It means that everybody is an investor. Um, and there's all these, you know, there's the, the new crowdfunding laws that went into effect under President Obama that makes it that people, even if you don't have a million bucks to lose, can invest in directly in companies. So there's, um, you know, there's different crowdfunding sites now where you can go and look up companies and actually invest in. That means we have to learn about investing, all of us, uh, and that means that uh, we need more brands to be stepping up and heading in this direction. But yeah. I think that mobilizing financial capital resources um, to invest in brands that want to head towards regeneration is is the key. And so that means that um, investors. Everybody, but then also those that really have investment capital to put in, they need to work their paradigms. They need to get out of this mechanical thing where they just put money in and look for a 100x return. Right? They need to start thinking, how can I grow the capacity of this business I'm investing in to grow the capacity of its whole system of supply? Um, and there's some funds that are popping up that are starting to do this, that are starting to specifically invest into regenerative agriculture, um, but then not just put the money in, but put other forms of capital in as well. So I think that's key. I'm going to explore this question in a lot more detail in the coming months, inspired partially by you and other people. I'm going to do a little podcast that is on financing regenerative agriculture Yeah. to think about I'll, What's I'll, it going to take? Yeah, I'll point people to it when, when yeah. you It's going to be it. fun and a little geeky and um, hopefully, you know, uh, challenging in some of the same ways that we've been pushing each other here of um, what's it going to take to see the whole system? What's it going to take to actually totally transform how everything works right now? How are we going to do that? I love it, man. You got to take off to the airport right now, yeah? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. Um, where can people find you? Terra-Genesis.com. Um, and then if you want to check out the book, Regenterprise, so that's like regenerative enterprise, all one word, Regenterprise.com. Um, Twitter, at Regenterprise or at Ethan Soloviev. Love it. One hour was not enough, but I'm going to have you back. Awesome. All right. Thanks again. Cheers. What a thoughtful guy. I love Ethan. Hey, before you take off, 
please give this podcast a rating on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. It helps me get bigger and better guests on, and it takes about two minutes. All you do is, if you're on iTunes right now, click the search button, type in The Kyle Tierman Show. Even if you're already on it right now, you just, it'll take you to a new page. Click that uh, button, and then it'll take you to details, reviews, related. Give a quick review, and I would really appreciate it. All right. I will see you guys soon. Hope you're having a fantastic day.